Hello, podwalkers. To all you wonderful podwalkers and all you not-so-wonderful podwalkers, welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. I'm your host, Joe Redman. You can find me on Twitter at Lorthos. That is L-O-R-E-T-H-O-S. And I am talking at you in a drive-to-work-esque episode of Goblin Lore, and specifically Goblin Games. Uh, For those of you who don't listen to Mark Rosewater's Drive to Work Magic the Gathering podcast, um, Drive to Work is specifically that he talks magic topics while driving to work uh, in the 30 or so minutes to get from his house to Wizard Central in uh, Renton, Washington. Wizards HQ, the mothership, as some might call it. For me, this is sort of a drive at work podcast, uh, because those of you may know, I am a letter carrier, and so uh, I do do the driving and the walking for my job. Uh, So... If you hear some small jingles or crackles in the background of this podcast, do know that I apologize, but also I don't apologize, because you are getting the authentic letter carrier experience here with me out on my mail route. Uh, So this is just going to be a short little Goblin Games episode that I'm going to do with you. Again, apologize for the uh, somewhat... Lacking quality, you'll notice there's no intro music this episode. There's no outro music this episode. I will tell you where you can find us, where you can donate to the cast and all that at the end, but uh, those will not be edited in in post. As the great Bob Saget once said, we'll do it live. I apologize to all of those with sensitive ears. In any case... This episode of Goblin Games is coming out on Wednesday, October 23rd, and that means uh, it is going to be a week before Halloween, the Banner Day of Spooky Season, which uh, we'll be recording a spooky episode. But before we get there, we are going to talk briefly today about something that I've been thinking on for a long time, and that is the idea of a Magic the Gathering movie. Now, if memory serves me correctly, this has been a years-long, and I believe at least decade-long, goal of Mark Rosewater. Uh, Mark originally wanted to be a screenwriter before he began working for Wizards and creating Magic the Gathering. So this is kind of a a personal passion project for him. Um, But despite being put into pre-production a number of times, it doesn't seem like there has been any progress on that. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about what, what it takes to get a movie made and what it means to 
make a Magic the Gathering movie, what it might look like, and also then uh, go through a little bit of an exercise at the end of this episode uh, to cast my ideal Magic the Gathering movie. So, uh, when I say pre-production in terms of a movie, what that means is planning the elements involved in it. So basically you are writing scripts, you are assembling potential casts, you are um, assembling a directing team, a design team, sort of sketching out what the film might look like before anybody gets in there to actually make the movie. So this is all planning, this is all sort of the uh, assembling process. It's where we see scripts being turned into storyboards. So they go from being just the words on the page to more of the visual representations of what those scenes will look like. Um, location scouting, uh, visual effects are identified all this sort of stuff. And at some point in pre-production, the cast and uh, occasionally potential cast, which then changes before production starts, uh, are brought in to do a sit-down read, as well as with directors, heads of department, financiers, producers, and publicists. Um, so now, this also is another part of it, is finding the funding, because making a movie does cost a lot of money. Uh, I myself am a professionally trained actor and worked very briefly in stage theater uh, before I joined the Postal Service. And uh, you know, in between that, I also taught theater uh, in public schools. Um, but you know, when teachers, especially teachers of the arts, say like, oh, there's no funding for the arts, uh, it's not just a complaint. It is, it is a real thing. It is hard to get money for artistic projects. Whether you're a teacher or a filmmaker or an independent theater creator, it is difficult to get somebody with a wallet to say, hi, I'm going to give you X dollars so that you can make your project. And so that is one thing in particular that has to happen in this pre-production process, um, is, is figuring out what the budget is, what the finances are, who's providing it, when it's coming, all this sort of very technical stuff that makes art possible. Um, it's, it's not the glamorous part, it's not the artistic part, but it is important and uh, often gets overlooked when we talk about the artistic process. So, um, with all that said, that's pre-production on a film. It is uh, everything that happens before actual shooting of the film. Production is exactly what it sounds like. It is the actual creating of the film. It is shooting the film. It is uh, eventually, uh, you know, recording any sound effects that are needed, uh, what we would call Foley. It is uh, sometimes creating uh, 
any sort of promotional stills, you know, shooting photos uh, during the creation process that you can show, you know, in publicity, uh, this is what we're doing, this is how it looks, aren't you so impressed? Buy your tickets to opening night and, you know, also, hey, other funders, come throw more money at us. Um, that's the very rough idea of production. A lot more goes into it, um, but there are tons of people involved. If you haven't ever been involved in a theater production, especially, uh, there, there's just so much. There are actors, obviously, and there's a director, obviously, but you have costume design crew. You have costume and makeup crew that helps you get costumes and makeup on and quick changing, uh, especially in, in plays, this is important. You have direct the directing team, uh, and specifically in film, that's where you have people like the production assistants who are sort of the director's liaison to certain other technical groups like costumes or makeup. Uh, you have the lighting team. You have not just a lighting designer, but you have the people who rig up the lights, who hold certain things in place. You have electricians who it is their job to wire these lights and make them powerful enough and safe. You have the sound team, audio people, uh, you know, not just the guy with the boom mic, the big long microphone on the stick that he holds over the actors, like we all know from classic, uh, you know, sort of goofs about things that go wrong on film sets, you know, boom mic in the frame. Um, but you have people monitoring the sound levels and helping to engineer that on set. You have, uh, God, I know I'm forgetting so much. Uh, you have the director, you have uh, in, in theater, there's a stage manager as well that helps coordinate all of the technical elements. You have producers and executive producers. You have uh, craft services who bring food and water for everybody on staff, on crew, and, and in the cast. There is so much that makes a production go. Finally then, you have what's called post-production, which should be no surprise, it is the part of making a movie that happens after production and this is where you get editors to come in you get uh sound uh is is assigned and and synced up with the films sound effects are placed in sometimes this is where foley will be made uh as well you have uh other you know special effects get get layered on um cgi is sometimes put in at this point um, you know, color fixing and color correction. Uh, there's, there's a lot that goes into this that frankly I have never done. I don't have the skills to do a lot of that. And so I've mostly been involved in pre-production and production parts of making, uh, short films. Um, but this is also crucial and it does cost a lot uh, of time and money. Uh, and so all of this comes together and it is a very complex thing and you know we in the public see that a movie is announced and you know it's announced for two or three years from that point and we're like what it's gonna take that long to get a film are you kidding me like let's get it sooner but there's a lot that goes into it and at that point that they announced this movie there has already been some pre-production done so to that point like there, it, uh, movies can take long, long, long periods of time. Uh, think 
you know, something like yeah, the... I can't even remember the name of the film, but it was nominated for Best Picture a, a few years ago. And it was... Essentially, it took these actors... Ten, these actors and directors ten years to make a film because they wanted to shoot the actors as you know, 10 years younger and then 10 years older to really realistically show the passage of time. You think about James Cameron's Avatar, it took 20 years or so to make that film because James Cameron had been planning it for a long time, but the technology didn't exist at the point that he wanted to make it in the 90s or whatever. So then once he had created the technology to do it the way he wanted, he finally made it. So there, there can be a long, long, long process of this. All that is to say that there are a lot of moving parts in making a movie that can go absolutely wrong. Uh, at any point, something can go completely, you know, feed up and, and the whole thing falls apart. Uh, at any point, funding can fall out. Uh, you know, bad press can help to, to kill momentum for a film. A new studio might buy the smaller studio and decide, mm, we're just not interested in doing this anymore. And then it's done. And that is what's happened a few times now to the Magic the Gathering movie is simply a new studio came in and said, yeah, we're not super interested in doing this franchise and it's stalled. Uh, but here's the thing. You might say, okay, well, why doesn't another studio or another group of people pick up where they left off and make their own Magic the Gathering movie? Well, Wizards actually has to sell the rights to the property Magic the Gathering to a specific group of people, and those rights then exist for a certain period of time. And if that studio doesn't do anything with it, well, Wizards can't just say, okay, we're going to let somebody else do this now because that first studio has the rights. This is why there's that huge kerfuffle between Sony and Marvel over who owns the rights to Spider-Man and you know Spider-Man therefore wasn't in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies for a while because of rights conflicts so all that said uh, Magic has wanted to make a movie for a long time but it hasn't the most recent attempts fell through again because of a, a studio acquisition but Finally, we are getting a Netflix TV show, and this is going to be centered around Chandra Nalar, one of our uh, Gatewatch planeswalkers, the red-aligned fire mage. And I'm very excited for it. I'm really pumped to see what comes out of it. It looks like it's going to be a very good team. I believe it's the Russos that are doing it who have been involved in other sort of nerdy franchises like Marvel and other, you know, sorts of uh, similar superhero-ish uh, types of, of creations. So I think that is all going very well. Uh, I I'm really pumped to see that when it comes out. But I do really want there to be a silver screen representation of Magic the Gathering. Uh, for, for some reason, for me, uh, you know, I've never considered the Marvel... TV shows to be nearly as canon as Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, in, in terms of the films. Um, I, I just, they're very good shows like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., each of the Defenders series, they are all very well made and I've enjoyed them very much. But they just don't feel as, 
real as part of the main thing to me personally. This is not a, a judgment for anyone else, but just to me, I want that confirmation that magic has made it by seeing it up on a, on a movie theater marquee. And so for me, I have, I have dreamed about what a Magic the Gathering movie might look like. And I, I think the easiest way to script it, obviously, is to go with maybe the assembling of the Gatewatch. It's, it's very clear that the Gatewatch is going to be Magic's story center point, its balance point, going forward for the next foreseeable future. And so why not make this, essentially, Magic's version of the Justice League or the Avengers, why not make them the the beginning of magic film history. And so I think it would be fascinating to see the Battle for Zendikar uh, block in a cinematic version, because while it may not have had a super compelling story told in the cards or in magic story, a lot of people were very kind of bored, I guess, with the war against the Eldrazi. I think that would make for an extremely extremely visually arresting and beautiful movie. Now that said, one question I would I guess I would ask myself about that if I were pitching if I were pitching this movie uh, to film execs and, and you know then I would I, I would ask, okay, well so are the Eldrazi emblematic or very representative of magic villains? Is this the way we want to set the tone for magic villains in magic history in films? Because, you know, audiences, the first thing they see is something that they will tend to associate with that franchise going forward. And obviously the answer is no. Uh, So maybe we need to look a little bit further back, you know, check into some of the things going on uh, around... Return to Ravnica and the original Zendikar block to sort of get all of our pieces in place. So we would maybe see the beginning of Jace becoming the Living Guild Pact. We would see uh, Gideon sort of uh, appearing during the Rise of the Eldrazi. And we would see Bolas's release of the Eldrazi from their tombs. Um, but we would have Ravnica as our anchor point, our center point. And I think that's kind of how... Wizards is is sort of aligning its now uh, postmodern phase, its postmodern point. Uh, you know, in, in the Pioneer format that they just announced, Return to Ravnica block is the first block, and it, it, it's kind of centering uh, everything. We've, we've talked a while about Ravnica becoming the new nexus of the multiverse in Magic Story, uh, sort of alluding to that. And I think this shows clearly that they want to continue to make hammer that point home. Ravnica is our new home in the multiverse for all intents and purposes. Um, and Ravnica is very much the high fantasy sort of city, uh, even though it has that sort of, uh, you know, unipolitan city uh, world sort of thing going on with it. So I think that that would be a fantastic way to do it. Um, we see the living guild pack, the May, the implicit maze storyline, even though it's not, Maybe the most compelling storyline. I think it's a, an interesting one for sure. We have the release of the Eldrazi on Zendikar with Chandra and Jace and Gideon there. Uh, Sarkhan would be there as well. You know, make a little guest appearance. Uh, but then 
we eventually get to, uh, you know, maybe a little pop around to Innistrad and we meet Liliana. And then finally the conflict during uh, Battle for Zendikar and the Gatewatch. So then we have this really excellent final climactic battle. We get to see sort of the denouement of the Zendikaris sort of beginning to rebuild their plane. Nissa watching the flourishing of Zendikar revival. All of that happening. Uh, and then we do still have some threads out there for the Gatewatch to follow. And as we, you know, Vorthoses know, um, Liliana will come into play on Innistrad in the next block uh, shadows over Anastrad. We know that Sarkon and maybe Soren will be more involved as well later on. Uh, so there's there's all of these pieces swirling around that then we start to see that that Volus arc, uh, and that could be its own trilogy right there. But I think for this first Magic the Gathering movie, it could be essentially Magic the Gathering assemble the Gatewatch or something to those uh, to that effect. Uh, and I think that would be a very classic blockbuster superhero film type of experience with Magic's characters. So with that in mind, uh, that's that's my pitch. If, if anyone's listening out there in uh, film executive Magic land, uh, that, that's my pitch for you. Uh, I went through a process of looking at casting the Magic the Gathering movie, and I basically wanted to cast the Gatewatch and then um, Nicol Bolas as well. Obviously, in, in my pitch here, uh, Sarkin is somebody to look for as well. Um, you know, maybe Soren shows up. Uh, Ugin may show up as well, but those could be worked in in the future uh, to boot. But I did consult my best friend, uh, who is a filmmaker, still a professional filmmaker, uh, Adam Santiago, uh, you can find him, I believe, at adamsantiago.net. Um, he's, he's a very excellent filmmaker. And uh, as of this uh, recording, is uh, airing one of his short films at the Minneapolis Film Festival this, uh, this, this very day. Uh, so very cool to see that. Um, but I, I consulted with him a bit on this casting to, to pick his brain and, and find out like what makes a strong cast a good cast. And he said one of the things, especially right now, that you want to highlight is diversity. Not, not just, you know, obviously that um, diversity is good, but you do want to draw as many people to the box office as you can. You want it to be as inclusive as possible. And so... Uh, one thing he said, yes, you know, try to make as diverse a cast as possible. Uh, the second thing that he said is, you know, especially for a franchise that's just starting out, you want it to be blockbuster names. Uh, I, I think there's an interesting case for maybe making it not blockbuster names, maybe making them character people that, uh, you know, film goers don't have a strong association with as other characters already but the way Adam puts it is if you are trying to make a foray into film with this movie then what you want to do is draw people who aren't just magic fans you want as many people from as many walks of life and as many fandoms as possible to come see this film so 
with that in mind, the cast that he and I came up with for these characters are as follows. Jace would be played by Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Timothy Chalamet has kind of been one of those big hot names in Hollywood right now. Uh, he is a uh, he is an American actor who debuted in uh, short films, but his big breakout was in the TV series Homeland in 2012. Uh, he also has been in Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Uh, he's just 23 years old, but he sort of has that moody, um, brooding look. A li- he's a little bit of a scrawny guy. Uh, not a bad thing if you're listening, Timothy. Um, but he kind of has that sort of introspective intellectual uh, approach that I think Jace really demands. And so uh, Timothy Chalamet would be our Jace. After that, uh, Gideon would be played by Jason Momoa. Um, This just seems like one of the most obvious uh, sort of castings possible. But Jason Momoa has been uh, uh, in a lot of roles as a strong... um, you know, warrior type of, of character. Uh, he played Aquaman in, uh, Batman versus Superman and justice league. Um, he also played Cal Drogo in game of Thrones. He was Declan Harp in the CBC series frontier. Um, so he just plays sort of the rough man. Um, and, and I think Momo could be a, a good fit to play Garrick Wildspeaker as well. Um, but I think, He's such a large name that you want him to be the most prominent burly boy (laughs) in the franchise, and that is Gideon. Um, Momoa is originally uh, of Pacific Islander descent, Um, and so I I think that there is something interesting, too, uh, when thinking about these characters and, and some of the... Um, ways that they've been racially coded. Uh, I, I do think it's interesting to use characters who actually do represent the nationalities uh, of the characters. Um, so Gideon does come from a um, Mediterranean sort of background. I do think there's an interesting idea of using um, Greek soap opera actor Alexei Gorgolos. Uh, I apologize if I pronounced that terribly. Uh, or Marwan Kanzari, uh, who is, uh, I believe he's in the new Aladdin, is, is his big breakout there. Um, but I think those, those could be also good casting ideas uh, to boot. Moving on, uh, Chandra Nalar would be played by Frida Pinto. Uh, Frida Pinto is another uh, sort of big breakout actress recently. Uh, she is an Indian actress uh, who's appeared in both American and British films. Um, she sort of had the breakout uh, as uh, an international travel show, uh, Full Circle, on ZTV. Um, her her real like star moment though was in Slumdog Millionaire. She was nominated for BAFTAs and Teen Choice Awards and MTV Movie Awards and all sorts of things. Um, so Frida Pinto would be fantastic in this role and really would give us an idea of Chandra as not just 
white, uh, white presenting, which is how she has often been illustrated as, but a real Indian uh, character to take that on and, and show us, you know, Kaladesh. Um, Nissa Vrivane, our elf planeswalker from Zendikar, would be played by Tessa Thompson. Uh, Tessa Thompson has also been a, a big breakout candidate lately. Uh, candidate. She's been a big breakout actress lately. Um, she played uh, Neela Adrose in For Colored Girls. Uh, she played Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok and Adventures Endga- Avengers Endgame. Pardon me. Uh, she was also in the new version of Men in Black. Um, so she is uh, really just been lighting it up, but has only lately got big time blockbuster recognition. And she's a fantastic uh, actress of color. Uh, I think that she would play a really great Nissa because she can have that sort of subtle complexity that Nissa brings to the table. Uh, I, I think Tessa Thompson would be a fantastic casting choice for that. Finally, Liliano, who would be in a smaller role in this uh, in this one, would be uh, played by Rinko Kikuchi. Rinko Kikuchi is a Japanese actress, and she has played a number of roles over... Gosh, uh, I'm trying to find one of her earliest credits. She was in Babel in 2006 and was the first Japanese actress to be nominated for an Academy Award in over 50 years. Um, She was in Norwegian Wood in 2010, uh, Pacific Rim, uh, which shockingly was directed by Guillermo del Toro, a really fantastic director who would be fun to have direct the Magic the Gathering movie. Uh, She just has this sort of small she she has is a very small framed person but she brings an intensity to her roles that i think really mixes well with liliana's uh sort of persona where she sarcastically plays the damsel in distress at points and then absolutely devastates anyone in her way and i think that that's something that rinko could really play up in her uh in her characterization of Liliana. Also, earlier on in Liliana's illustration, she was illustrated as an East Asian woman, and I think that this would be a fantastic casting choice to sort of go back to that uh, personification of her. Other uh, actresses that I thought would be great casting choices for this, um, Ming-Na Wen, who played Mulan in Mulan, uh, would be fantastic. Uh, She also was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then Constance Wu, who I know has been in Crazy Rich Asians. She's been in a number of fantastic uh, TV shows and films. She would be a very strong choice as well. Uh, and then we disagreed on Nicol Bolas. Um, Adam liked the idea of Paul Bettany, who played Vision in The Avengers. Um, I think that there's just a little too much of the sort of non-threatening uh Thing with with Paul Bettany, I think Paul Bettany would be great use greatly used in the Magic: The Gathering cinematic universe uh, at a later point. But I really like the idea of Hugo Weaving playing Nicol Bolas. Hugo Weaving, who played Agent Smith in um, The Matrix, 
and then played Red Skull in uh, Captain America, just has that dark, deep-voiced menace and the cold calculation. Um, I, I really think that he would bring out a fantastic Nicol Bolas uh, to the screen. Uh, as I said, also, we may run into Ugin and Sorin uh, in this. Respectively, I cast Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who plays um, Sherlock Holmes, and then also Doctor Strange in The Avengers, um, and then Mads Mikkelsen as Soren Markov. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen has played a lot of major roles. Uh, perhaps the most pop-culturally famous is Le Chouf in Casino Royale, uh, the Bond film. Um, he's, he's done a number of things. Uh, I also like the idea of casting Idris Elba as Teferi. Um, Idris Elba is starting to get that... He's starting to actually look a little bit old, but not old enough to look old. And I think that is the perfect point to get him to play Teferi, who you can see the years have started to, to wear on him, uh, but he hasn't become, uh, you know, old and not uh, delightful and, and trickstery. So uh, I, that is my and, and Adam's rough casting uh, sort of dream cast scenario for a Magic the Gathering movie. So thank you all for letting me talk at you. Uh, this has been an episode of Goblin Games. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter, or you can email any questions, comments, or concerns to goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. I can be found on Twitter at Orthos. That's L-O-R-E, Thos. And you can find my co-hosts at HobbsQ and at Mel underscore Chronicler on Twitter. Any of our articles are found at goblinlore.home.blog. And if you want to contribute to our podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash goblinlorepod. Thank you all again for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.